What is up, peeps? Hey, welcome to a special bonus episode of the podcast. You know, it's so important for us to let the word seep down deep into our bones. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Today's bonus episode is a message that I preached a couple of years ago, but you know, we always need God's word. And this is directed at men, but every lady will benefit from it as well. It's about the life stages a man goes through and what God wants him to do in each stage. If you get value out of this message, remember the entire series is available at fierce.church slash fierce-store or just scroll on down to the bottom and click on store. Also, don't be afraid to leave a review in iTunes or the Google Play Store because it really just helps the church. Enjoy this week's message, How Do I Leverage the Life Stage I'm In from the Wild Inside series. Throughout this Wild Inside series, <clears throat> at different, on different weekends, I've asked you like to repeat something after me as we begin the message. And usually what happens is I'll say, all right, men, you repeat this thing like um, uh, you were fashioned for a fight. I'd say, men, repeat your fashion for a fight. And then they'll kind of do it a little bit. And then I'll say, all right, Wonder Women, you guys go ahead and say it. And then the Wonder Women will just like say it really loud. But I'm wondering if the reason the Wonder Women are winning that is because, number one, they're a little bit competitive, and number two, because they get to go second. Like, somebody else had to do something first, and then they get to go. So I want to switch it around this weekend. I'm going to have the ladies go first. So ladies, you're not going to get a second chance. This is what I'm telling you, okay? I want to see if you're really that fierce, or if you're just fierce when you hear the guys blow it, okay? <laughs> now, here's, here's the caveat, ladies. I need you to say... Uh, the sentence, you were fashioned for a fight, but I need you to say it in your deepest Batman voice, okay? So we're going to see how fierce you are. Let's say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Whoa! Y'all killed even the 915ers. That was awesome. Way to go. Ladies, that's where the real women are right there. Hey, um, guys, you have your chance. Let's see how you do. But guys, I want to change it for you a little bit. Let's see if you can do it in your highest-pitched Wonder Woman voice. We'll see. We'll see who's really confident, men. Now, now it's got to be high-pitched but threatening, okay? So you're going to say it, and, and I can't join you, otherwise I'll mess it up. But I, I would say it with you, brothers, okay? So you're going to say you were fashioned for a fight in your most Wonder Woman voice on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, that is scary. That was scary. Good job. Good job. Both of you guys did great. <clears throat> hey, um, that was really good. I'm proud of you guys. So women, you know this every weekend. I want to honor you. I want you to know I'm going to speak a little more plainly to the guys than I probably would speak to you if we were face to face. But I really believe it's going to help be, be helpful because there are seasons in every man's life. This applies to gals too, but I'm going to talk directly to the men. There's just different seasons. And the problem with men is sometimes you don't really recognize what season you're in. And in every season, we need to operate differently. We need to do different things in different seasons. It doesn't make any sense if I'm trying to drive a car when I'm six years old. That's not the right season. But when I'm 16, it is the right season for me to drive a car. Sometimes men get lost along the way because they're trying to operate one way in a season that doesn't really call for that response. So here's your bottom line today. Every phase has a focus and every season is a school. This is what the Israelites found out as they came out of Egypt. 
Some of you remember that they were slaves in Egypt. God called them out with great signs and wonders. And it was really only an 11-day trip to the promised land, but God caused it to take a long time because they weren't ready. They were in a phase, but they needed to focus on some specific things. They needed to become warriors. And so God had to, the, the Bible says he led them by stages to the promised land. And in every phase, there's a focus. Every season of our life is, is kind of a school. And we're going to speak in very broad terms, but I'm going to give you some categories today. When you're in this season, this is what the Bible instructs us to do. When you're in this season, this is what the Bible instructs us to do. So let's begin with those of us who are under 18. Now, I think this applies also to those who are very young in the faith. Maybe you just became a Christ follower recently, but this, we're going to call this the sons. It also applies to daughters. It's all very true, but remember, I'm speaking plainly to men. And let's look at Jesus. Jesus is a great example. Jesus, when he first shows up, he's a child. He's a baby. And he grows up, and the Bible doesn't tell us much about his life. Here's what we do know. We know that he was from a blue-collar family. We know that he experienced all the things that, that young boys would experience. He went through puberty, as weird as it is to think about that for you probably. That's true. He felt all those chemical things going on with him. His house was probably about the size of a half a garage, and that fit his whole family, including the animals. He was used to hard work. He was used to having dirt under his fingernails. He knew everything about, just like you do, what it means to grow up. And, and the Bible doesn't tell us much, but here's what it does tell us about that season of his life. Listen, Luke 2.51, it says, And he went down with them, his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, Jesus is not only our Savior, he's our pattern. He's our example. So like what he does, that's what we should do. And the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God. I mean, obviously because it's Jesus, but one of the ways that we grow in wisdom and favor and in stature is by submitting. Jesus submitted to his parents. That means he learned from them. He allowed himself to come under their instruction. And sometimes, my friends, in this stage, for those of you who are very young in the faith or you're under 18, you see, this whole world is enamored with being flashy when God wants us to focus. This whole world is enamored with being spectacular when God wants us to go through the seasoning process. And the way that we do that, even though it's not popular, is we submit to our parents and we submit to spiritual authorities. We learn to submit to teachers. We learn to submit to other authorities in our lives. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He was willing to learn. Now, Jesus was perfect. Jesus was sinless, and yet he had imperfect parents, yet he still submitted to them. Now, if Jesus, who is, per you know that there were times he was like, that's not right, mom and dad. That's not like what I should do, but I'm just gonna honor you. I'm gonna submit to you. They were imperfect. He was perfect. How much more do we who are imperfect still need to do the same thing as Jesus did? And that is submit to our parents and submit to those over us. Jesus, as perfect as he was, submitted, and so can you and I. God didn't design you and then give you different parents than you needed, as hard as sometimes they are. The test for us in this phase, the thing we need to focus on is, yes, but what about my heart? How am I doing submitting? So, young ones, we've got to submit to our parents. I would even challenge you to ask them. 
whether they're together, whether you see them at different times, ask them, how am I doing submitting to you? See what their response is. And, and listen, young ones, you got to know this, and, and I'm not saying that in a patronizing way to you. I'm just calling you what you are. There's been a whole lot more that's happened on this planet when you weren't here. There's still a lot to learn. That's why Jesus wants you to be submissive. Um, your parents don't know everything, and they're not perfect, but they're not stupid. And your peers, sometimes who seem so smart, are not near as brilliant as you think they are. And later on, you're going to figure that out. This past week, I was watching this Adam Sandler movie. I think it's from like 2005. It's called The Longest Yard. And um, Adam Sandler, he's, he's like this former professional football player that is now in prison. And he, it's his task to assemble these convicts and have them play against the guard team. Well, the guard team is really nasty and mean. And so they're trying to always push down and beat down the convict team. Well, one day before they get to the big game at the end of the movie, you know, it's going to be a big to-do. Um, the guards in the middle of the night sneak into the playing field and they water down the entire field and get it really muddy. Well, these convict team, they're already discouraged and they walk out and they see this and they're like, oh no, now it's going to go horrible. How can we be expected to, to play in, this, in these conditions? And then they get an idea and that is, why don't we just do as awesome as we can? Because if we can do awesome in the mud when it's difficult, it'll be even easier when the mud isn't there on the actual field. And young ones, sometimes we're looking at something that's difficult. It's hard to submit to mom and dad. It's hard to submit to these different authorities. But think of that like that muddy field. Yes, it's a little bit harder, but there's greater prosperity later. Let it train you. God didn't bring you to this difficult season to stop you, but rather to make you strong. And we all need that spiritual training. You know, folks, there's folks, there's people that would love your parents. They would love to have as awesome parents as you have. So we need to honor them. We need to respect them. We need to speak life. We should never speak derogatorily to our parents or about them or around them, even if you're more spiritual than they are. So when I, was, when I first became a Christian, there were things I began to understand, and I began to suspect, I think there's things that I understand about the Bible that my parents don't even know. And I felt this weird conflict. They're still my parents, but I feel like I know more than them in certain areas. But you know what? God called me to submit to them because here's the reality, young ones. If you're really more spiritual, you'll have the goods. You'll have the goods. By the Holy Spirit's power, you'll be able to control your tongue. You'll be able to control your, 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 your spirit because if you'll go ahead and submit now, God will promote you later. You can say amen whenever you're ready. And that's, that's the whole game. That's how Jesus did it was he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Even as a very young boy, listen, uh, Jesus talking about himself, he gets up to read. He's, he's reading a prophecy that's about him and he's also clar clarifying for everybody, yes, this is about me. He says, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he was right. We stop right there. He's saying, hey guys, the way I do all this is with the help of the spirit of the Lord. How did Jesus as a young man say no to things like alcohol? The things like lust. How did he choose the right friends? With the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing that you've got to know, young ones. This life is trying to hurt you. I wish that weren't true, but it's true. Everything about this world is built to tear you down. It doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to your prosperity. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to be anything other than a taker. It's not training you to give. And that's why you need the counsel of the Holy Spirit. That's why while you're young, Learn how to ask God for his counsel. 
That, and he might not answer right away, but you're reaching out. You say, Jesus, speak to me. Teach me what to do. Give me your power. I'll never beat this thing on my own. Help me out. See, this is a wrong conception about the Christian life. If, if you're thinking about this, like you have to do this perfect thing for God. Hey, let me just free you up right now. No, the Christian life is about allowing Jesus to live through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's asking for his help to give us the victory instead of us doing it on our own. Every phase has a focus. Every season is a school. And my young friends, don't waste this season. Learn how to submit so you can be teachable. Listen, you're supposed to go farther than any of us. You're supposed to be so smart, so strong in the Lord, but the only way to get there now is to humble yourself now, to learn now, to take your licks now so that God can promote you later. Every phase has a focus. Hey, let's look at the second one. These are young men. Of course, we're talking to young women too, but these are young men. This is people between 18 and 40. In the Bible, up until about the time you're 40, you're still a young man. Now, here's the great thing about folks in this stage. You're awesomely strong. In fact, the Bible even says that you're strong. You are strong. And there's a lot of advantages that come with strength. But just know that's about the only good thing the Bible has to say about this age group. So let's just, let's just keep our, our, our wits about us. You know what else is strong? Terrorists odors, dung beetles for their size are also strong, so, but they're not particularly helpful. So you can be very strong, but not necessarily very helpful. And this is the pr- problem with some folks in this age is they're very strong, but they're not going the right direction, or they're very confident about the wrong direction. Sometimes they got a lot of sail, but they don't necessarily have a lot of rudder. Sometimes they have a lot of hat but they don't have a lot of cattle. They like to brag a lot, but there's nothing really behind it. They have a lot of power, but they can get confused and go the wrong way. And just like the previous age group, we've got to own this. You got to know. Guys, you you have to understand. The world is trying to destroy you. This culture is a parade of fools. And everything they're trying to do, they're trying to rope you into sin. They're trying to rope you into addiction. They're trying to rope you into porn. They're trying to rope you into murder. They're trying to rope you into stealing. There's nothing in this culture, men, that is trying to train you how to be a good husband. Have you noticed that? Like there's nothing that's trying to tee you up as a good father. I don't know if you know this, but if you go to college, there is no men's studies. Have you figured that out? There's no national organization for men. There's nothing men that is trying to boost you up. Everything is trying to rip down, trying to get you addicted, trying to get you in jail, trying to get you messed up. So we've got to have our wits about us. We've got to decide that we're going to be mature in our thinking. That's why the apostle writes to the Corinthians. Now, this Corinthian church is the most jacked up church I believe in the Bible. They've got all kinds of problems. They're fighting with one another. They've got the wrong priorities. And so Paul leans in and he says, you know, guys, some of the reasons you have all these problems is because you're childish in your thinking. Not childlike, not the good kind of like simple belief, but childish, meaning you act younger than you are and you shouldn't do that. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child and think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man... I did away with childish things. Hey, listen, men. If nobody else believes in you, God believes in you. 
God is absolutely behind you. But we've got to be in the life stage that we're in. I believe that when Jesus was a boy, he acted like a boy. But when he was 30, he didn't act like he was 20. And we've created this this season in life that we call adolescence. And really what it is, is it's prolonged childhood. In the Bible, there was no adolescence. You were a boy, and then you were a man. And so now we have this, this time where you can look like a man, but still act like a boy. And it, it rolls up now into your 30s. And, and it's kind of like this social just convention. Oh, hey, okay, that's all right. Well, you know, they're just on prolonged adolescence, as if that's legit or okay. Sure, they, they've got men's opportunities, but they've only got the responsibility level of a boy. And God says, put your childish things behind you. I don't understand this adolescent thing. All I see is that boys show up for men's jobs and then nothing ever gets done. I don't, I don't really get it, man. See, when I was 21, my wife and I got married uh, the weekend after we graduated college. And we were, dude, we didn't want to be little kids. Like, we wanted to go. I want to take a woman and take a stand. Like, I want to get some stuff, some stuff done. We were excited, man. We had a baby within the first year, and there was no sense of like, oh, we better just hold on and be safe and, and you know, just hug a Teletubby. No, I was like, dude, let's go conquer the world, man. Let's be men and women. Well, how many understand that if I would have come home one day and found my wife in the living room playing with Barbies, I would have been like, did I marry a girl or did I marry a woman? But men... How many think it's possible that sometimes the wife comes home and finds a man and he's playing with his toys, he's playing with his gadgets, he's playing with his video games, or he's off for days at a time doing these sports things or off hunting, and I'm just like, hey, dude, have your recreation. Do it, okay? Like, have some good, fun time, but are you a boy or are you a man? In other words, when you're 25, you shouldn't be able to do all the same things you were doing at 15 because you've embraced manhood. Now you have responsibilities. Now you have to be a husband. You have to be around. You can't go on these week-long day trips somewhere where you're just neglecting your wife, neglecting your family. Dude, what do you think you signed up for when you put that ring on the finger? It was to be a man. It was to be her man. It was to be around. It was to be intentional. It wasn't so you could just go have all your hobbies all the time and just be a boy man. That's not what it is. And so what does Jesus say? What does God say? What does Paul say? They say, put away your childish things. Put away the things that cause you to speak the wrong way and talk the wrong way. I used to speak like a child. That means, dudes, how are you speaking? How are you talking, bro? Talking like a boy? You're talking like a man. So 1 Timothy 4.12 Paul gives this advice, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in impurity. Bros, that means we, you don't, if you're going to act like a man, you don't use your mouth to swear. You're not flying off the handle. You're not randomly sending impulsive texts and posts and shouting at people. You're not oogling over the girls as they walk by in the mall. What are you, 12? You don't talk about women that way because if someone ever talked about your sister that way, you'd punch them in the throat. You don't do that stuff anymore because you're a man. You don't whine and complain about responsibility. Why? Because you're a man. You're not 14. You're a man. And this is what you embrace. I used to speak like a child and think like a child. Guys, how do you think? How do you think, bros? Here's what boys think. I hope somebody takes care of me. You know what men think? They think, 
I need to be taking care of some people. That's why I'm a man. That's why I've been given the strength that I've been given. A child says, entertain me, feed me, fill my sippy cup with beer. <laughs> Listen, guys, you know this. It is not the job of the state to take care of your family. It is not the job of the cops to restrain your family. That's your job. It is not the job of the church to raise your kids. Sometimes folks show up here and they're like, I just neglected my kid for 10 years. Can you fix them by next week? I got stuff to do. Nope, that's not how it's supposed to go. It's not the job of the school to give your kid moral character. That's your job, dad. That's your job, bro. That's what it means to be a man. Now put your childish things away and be a man. And some of these guys, I mean, Guys, don't get me wrong. Like, I love, there's stuff I do for recreation and it's, it's great, but it's in balance. So listen, dude, if you get more excited about the Bears or the Packers or golf or hunting or video games or something else more than you get excited about Jesus, bro, something's wrong with your priorities. Like, you're not understanding what it means to be men. Men guard their hearts. They recognize, oh, I'm loving this thing too much, and I just pull back a little bit. I just take a little break from it because it's becoming too important to me. I'm neglecting my wife. I'm neglecting my family. I'm going to put my boyish ways behind me. That means we, sometimes we pull back on our habits. That means, dude, you get rid of porn. You don't look at that stuff. That means you're not out drinking all the time. It means you're not sleeping in for like 12 hours. Dude, what? What is that? That's a teenager thing to do. That's not what you do. You don't sit there and have a pity party. You don't, you don't accept the label of failure over yourself and say, oh, well, I'm just a failure. I guess it just doesn't matter what I do. Listen, bros, if you've had some kind of failure in your life, let me give you a, a little bit of a shortcut out of that thing, okay? That failure does not define you. You need to own it. You need to say that that's what happened. And what you need to say is, it has, that's not saying something about me. It's saying something about the steps that I took. The recipe that I used doesn't work. So I'm going to try a different recipe, and I'm going to try a different recipe, and I'm going to try again. It's nothing about me. The steps I used failed to get to the goal that I wanted to have. But a man has got to stand up and quit whining and quit sipping on his sippy cup and just say, look, I did it. I did it wrong. Now I'm getting up and I'm going again. See, I really believe that we have an entire generation that has been over-mothered and under-fathered. That means all it was ever was was just, oh, it's just a hug and let's hold and dance. And what they needed was, okay, dude, here's a hug. Now slap on the butt. Now get going. Now go. Now get up. Yes. Ouch. It hurts. Yeah, get up now. Now get up and fight. Be what a man is. So men, what boyish thing is perhaps the Spirit of God challenging you to put away? Why? Why would I do that? Because these years, these 18 to 40 years, these are the years to invest. This, men, listen, this is the time that you learn how to make money. This is the time where you learn how to have a budget. This is the time where you learn how to invest in your wife and kids and take them on dates. This is the time you learn how to have an appropriate Christmas where you're not splurging on credit cards every year, even though Christmas regular comes around the same time every year. This is the time you learn how to go on modest vacations so you can give your family a good time. These are the times, my friends, when you stand up and say, this is what I'm going to pour my life into. I'm going to pour my soul. I'm going to pour my love. I'm going to pour my devotion into my family so that they can thrive. It's not the time to waste your years messing around. And here's the, here's the secret. Jesus will help us do it, men. He will help us. If we will ask him to, but we have to want to. We have to decide, yes, I'm done being a boy 
It's time to be a man. Fathers, fathers, 40 to 60. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of an asterisk. I'm 39 right now, so I'm not even in this stage yet. So I want to, I want to speak respectfully to you. I'm not trying to, to diss you, but I do want to respectfully lean in to the fathers, those who are 40 to 60. Guys, these are your power years. This is awesome for you. Here's why. Because now you may not have quite as much strength, but hopefully you have a whole lot more wisdom. That, that, that's the perfect pairing right there. Yeah, you, you still have some strength, but you also have a ton more wisdom. All right, men, who's feeling the fire already? It doesn't always need to be a new word, just a now word for a lot of us, right? Well, hey, in the chat, let's see if you can be vulnerable and share with us. What is a boyish thing that God is asking you to put away? And I know that you, you don't always feel respected in this culture, in this society, but don't worry about it. This, this culture is full of demons and, and they, just, they don't know what to honor. They don't know how to do this. Even sometimes in church world, we seem to like applaud the slick only and the young only and that, that which looks glamorous. And I really think that's a mistake. I really think the lion's share of the wisdom is going to be in this age group and we need, to, we need to honor it. We need to celebrate it. <clears throat> I want you to pay attention to how Paul is talking to these same people, these Corinthians. Listen to how he speaks to them. They are his spiritual children. He's a father, and he's speaking to them like children. Listen to what he says. Verse 14, I'm not writing these things to shame you. Good fathers don't shame, but to warn you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 other teachers about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to do what? To imitate me. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, do what I do and you guys will be okay. And then he gives them the curriculum. Verse 17, that's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Now he's relating to Timothy. He says, hey, here's a guy who's doing it. Like he's doing what I've modeled for him. He will remind you of what? What is he going to remind you of? How I follow Christ Jesus. Just as I teach in all the churches, wherever I go. He says, here, do what I do. Fathers in the faith, I need you to understand that there are men here in this church, they have no idea that God is their father. They don't know what that means and how to interact with that. They don't know how to love a woman. They don't know how to get a job. They don't know how to do a budget. And they need you to embrace the calling of spiritual fatherhood. And ladies, same thing for spiritual motherhood. They need you. And I know sometimes it can be intimidating because they're like, I don't think they need me. I think they're doing just fine. No, God's way, every phase has a focus. And this is the focus for those who are fathers and mothers in that life stage. God wants you to be intentional in the direction of those young ones because yes, they have strength, but sometimes that's all they have. And they need somebody to come down and disciple them. That's what that's what Paul did with these Corinthians. That's what he did with Timothy. That's what he did with Titus. That's what he did with Onesimus. And I remember when Kenzie and I were in college, that's what the dares did with us. We were in this little about 60-person church, and you know, we go to church, and, and it, was, it was funny because it was like all these college kids and these, all these folks were like their 50s and 60s. And you know, when you're in college, that looks even older to you. But, but the dares were one of the few that came along and said, hey, why don't you guys come over on Sunday nights? And we'll feed you some dinner. And dude, we were bored and dumb. And so we're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. And so we'd go over to their house and they'd feed us. And while they fed us, they just shared about their own walks with God. 
Like they didn't have to be theologians. They didn't have to have anything impressive to say. They weren't solving naughty problems for us. They said, here's some food. Tell me what God's doing in your life. And they would listen and they'd give feedback. And really all they were saying is, well, here's what I've learned. Yeah, here's, as, as I've tried to be faithful to God, here's what I figured out. Well, how many know that when that couple was being intentional with us, our hearts were slowly grabbing onto them. And when we were in crisis, that's the kind of person we would reach out to because they were there. They weren't official titles in the church. They were just doing the hard everyday work of discipling young ones. And that's what they did. Hey, men, if you have a beat up Bible, if you've been walking with God, if you've learned how to be faithful, if you've repented of your sin, you've been good to your wife, if you've been faithful for a while, dude, I mean this in all kinds of masculine ways, but you're a unicorn, man. Like you are rare. That doesn't happen. We need you. We need you to come and help and disciple us. And I know sometimes, listen, men, I really believe this church would double in size if everyone in the spiritual fatherhood stage would go ahead and start fathering those who are not here yet. This is how it goes wrong. I think a lot of times guys get afraid and gals. They, well, I don't know if I should, you know, who am I to do this? And you, just, you know what that is? That's a spirit of fear. You need to get over it. You need to cast it down just like some stupid Goliath. You need to press on it. You cut off its head. And you just need to start being intentional. For some of us, you've got this wisdom graveyard in your head. And here's what I mean. You're really wise and you've really grown. And you've seen God do amazing things. But for some reason or other, you're keeping all that in a closet. And you're not engaging these younger ones around you who need your help. And, and I got to tell you, I'm a little bit sensitive about it because as awesome as it was for us to be with the dares in those early years, since that time, and this is about 20 years, do you know how many folks I've found as I've been looking around who are really intentional? I mean, they were on their own. It wasn't a church program. They were just on their own, reaching out to the young ones, getting them in their lives. I'm sure there was more, but I was the guy that was looking for it. I'm like, where are the wise warriors? We're the people that know. We're the people that know what to do right now. I'm looking around for it. You know how many I saw? Probably in 20 years, 10. You can count them on two hands. Now, that doesn't mean that's all there were, but as, as a young man who was going through this stage, I'm like, where are you? What are you doing right now? Like, are you just alone in your house? Are you on your, like, have you just gotten enough success now that you can just have all your wisdom and all of your prosperity for yourself? You're like smog sitting on a pile of gold. Like, guys, there's people that need you. Are you just afraid? Why aren't you there? My friends, I want you to consider, why do you think that we do these small groups every four months? We, we tear them apart and put them back together. Some of you, you've been in a thousand small groups. Do, do you think that's really because we think you need another group? Or do you think it's because the young ones in that group need discipled by somebody? Do you really think that we do all this work to have people on teams who serve just because we want you to have some kind of a name tag or something? You're like, well, they can all do it better than me. Yeah, well, maybe they can. Maybe they can press the button better than you. But who's going to disciple them? Who's going to, at, at the, the crucial moment, say, go God's way here. Do this thing in your, in your everyday life. It has nothing to do with the function of the team. It's just about relationship. Here's how you follow God. Follow my ways in Christ. Here's what you do now. My friends, respectfully, if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Do you really think God gave you all of that wisdom just to hoard it? 
Do you think it was just supposed to end in you? No, it's supposed to trickle down. And so maybe it's, you, you just get intentional. You take people out for coffee. Or here, here's an idea for, for couples with young kids or single moms with young kids. Invite them over, man. They don't have any money. You're like, oh, I don't want to listen to the screaming babies. Well, buck up. Because if you listen to their screaming babies, their hearts are going to connect to you quickly. Buy them stuff. Buy them pizza. Take them out. I'm so proud of my dad because even in years past, he would do this with other men younger than me. I wasn't jealous at all. I was like, my dad gets it about discipleship. He just take my friends out. Oh, you, you just need somebody to be intentional. You need somebody to listen. You need somebody to tell you, no, don't do that with your wife. Bone rod, do this. That's not what a good man does. Fathers, fathers, we need you guys. We need you to step into place. And you need, and listen, you need to have the courage to do it without me pleading with you all the time. You need to have the courage to do it without a church program. You just need to pray. God, show me who you want me to be intentional with. And then you need to do it because they need you. And God has given you some of the wisdom you have because they need it. Well, so we're going to decide to do it, aren't we? And then grandfathers, my sweet, dear grandfathers. These are the folks 61 and over. This is the final stage. And I want to point to the Apostle John as he's an old man. So the Apostle John, when he was younger, he was kind of a a hothead a little bit. He wasn't the loudest disciple, but he was the youngest and he was sometimes loud. There was a time when Jesus and the disciples were walking and he and his brother speak up and they say, hey, why don't you send fire down on that Samaritan village, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it, do you? You just don't understand. There was another time that James and John's mom went to Jesus and said, hey, how about you just reserve a space on your right and on your left for my sons? And Jesus is like, you don't even know what you're asking, lady. Yes, I'm going to take your goofball sons and they're going to reign over all creation on my right and my left for the rest of forever. Let me think. No. And he didn't say it like that, but that's the version that happens in my head. Well, as time goes by, John grows up though, just like if we're all blessed to live long enough, we all tend to if, if you stick with Jesus. And he becomes a very loving man. He's seen hard stuff. His brother, James, he saw him be murdered. He's seen the apostles rise and the apostles slowly, the first apostles slowly disappear. And now he's the last one that's living. He's an old man. And he gets to set the emotional tone for Christianity itself for the second and third generation. And what we find out about the Apostle John now as an old man is churches would invite him to come to their meeting and they'd set a chair for him and he'd sit up on the chair and what he would talk about would be the love of God, the love of Jesus. That's all he would talk about. You see it here even in his letter, 1 John 2, 1. It says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. That's what he does. He sits there, he says, yes, you shouldn't sin, but can I just remind you in the midst of all this, Jesus loves you. Jesus is with you. The Father is for you. We need those grandfathers and those grandmothers to have that gentle wisdom that will sit there and not try to take the wheel, not try to control everything. Just say, hey, I know y'all strong. Go ahead, do it. Go ahead and lead. But let me just be there to give a little nudge, to give a little tip, to just remind you, hey, here's what's going to be important when you're old. 
Remember the love of God in Christ Jesus. Remember that he forgives you. Hey, you need to bring some strong leadership over there. You need to make a decision. Remember the glory of God in what you're doing. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to give you 10 paragraphs. I'm going to give you three sentences. And they'll say stuff like, God loves you. Remember to believe in people. Be gentle. That's what these grandmothers and grandfathers do for us. And that's so rare. If you think about public figures, the only one I can even think of that that kind of fits that description is Billy Graham. He's just been faithful to the end, man. And even as you listen to his latter year interviews, he's just talking about Jesus. He's talking about the love of God. And when when we're young, we want to talk about something flashy. We want to talk about something really powerful. We need you grandmothers and grandfathers to just lean in with a little bit of gentle, quiet, loving. Remember to be gracious. Remember to forgive because it's all about the love of God that is in Christ. That's everything. At the end of the day, that's, that's what this is all about. A few weeks ago, I was outside with my, my youngest daughter, Amber, and I was teaching her how to ride the bike without training wheels. And I'm kind of holding, you know, the backside as, as, as we're bumping down the road a little bit. And then I just let go, but I didn't tell her that I was letting go just to see her kind of do it on her own. I just give her a little nudge, just a little pat, just keep her up. And grandmothers, grandfathers, that's what you do. Give, give us little nudges. But don't you believe the devil that it's not your place because it's absolutely your place. We need, I know we look strong and sometimes intimidating, but we need your love. We need your wisdom. We need you to remind us what it's gonna look like from age 70. We need you to be there to give us those gentle nudges. That's what you do. We need you to remind us that God just loves us because he does. The same way when you hold your little grandbaby and you're just like, they've done nothing, all they do is poo, and I love them. You need to remind us that's how God feels about us. When we're beginning to get very zealous, we need you to remind us, hey, I'm not trying to exasperate you. I'm not trying to tear you down. All I'm trying to remind you is, hey, keep people's feelings in mind. Hey, go ahead and remember the love and forgiveness. And yes, I know it was a big deal. Forgive them. Just, you won't regret it. Just forgive them. That's what our grandmothers and grandfathers do. And so what I want to do right now as a church, I want to pray for our grandmothers and grandfathers because we need you. You're still here because we need you. Would you do me a favor? Would you, if you can, would you stand up? If you're over 60 years old, we as a church want to honor you and we want to pray for you. We want to pray for God's strength, God's wisdom, for God to use you in our lives. So around this auditorium, if you're over 60, go ahead and stand up. And if you're around them, hey, these are your mothers and fathers. Excuse me. Maybe point a hand toward them. Reach out with your heart and faith toward them. We need these folks. They're going to keep us remembering the right things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for every phase. Every phase you give us a focus, every season is a school of its own. I want to thank you for these grandmothers and grandfathers. God, thank you for the awesome stories you've delivered them through. Thank you for the incredible lessons that you've taught them. Thank you for the faithfulness, despite their imperfections, that you've given them because of Jesus Christ. God, strengthen them now. 